20, verses 11 to 23. But before we read that, I just want to pray. Jesus, we just ask that as we come to you, the living word, may your scriptures root themselves in our hearts. May truth bring about an abundance of fruit and life in all that we are. In your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Mary stood weeping. And as she wept, is that me? Oh, we're a bit dodgy. It's probably me. Uh, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the I am saying He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So last week we looked at uh, we looked at the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus coming in, and we looked at just how surprising that is. That actually. Jesus comes not as we were expecting him to at all. Uh, but that in that, in a real and profound way, Jesus is the culmination, he is the gathering together of all that God had been doing through Israel and through history. He is the gathering together of all that the temple, of all that the people, of all that the land was supposed to represent. He, he brings all those threads to life within him very, his very self. And here this week we have a passage that is clearly just as surprising. Even though they'd been with Jesus, even though throughout this Gospel of John he's spoken to them about when he will be raised up and what is going to happen to him, they are just stunned and shocked. We start with Mary and then we have the disciples locked away hiding in a room. There's some beautiful symbolism in this passage. Um, Jesus is resurrected on the first day of the week. And uh, numbers are quite significant in the Gospel of John. Uh, at different points, it actually refers to what day of the week certain parts of the narrative happens. There's part of the Gospel that is structured around seven days. There are actually seven signs in the Gospel of John leading up to the Passion narrative in the first half of the Gospel. 
Um, one of the stories after this story that we've read is Jesus comes to seven disciples. So there's something about that number seven that is, that is significant. And the significance seems to be creation. That actually God creates the world in seven days. And then here we have the eighth day. Here we have the new creation. Here we have the start of everything that is to come. We are starting again from this place. We are starting from here. These seven signs are really revealing uh, the first sign of Jesus. Does anyone know what it is in the Gospel of John? Water into wine. Yeah. And there's all that rich symbolism there where it's not just any water. He turns the ritual water for washing, for observance of the law, he turns that into the wine of his new covenant as he eats a meal, as he shares, as he starts to speak about what is to come. Taking the old and becomes fulfilled in the new, in the new thing that he's doing. And we see loads of this imagery of kind of taking what God has been doing before and then landing on something new throughout these signs. When he heals the official son, when he heals the paralytic, when he feeds the 5,000, walks on water, he heals a man born blind. And finally, the trigger in the Gospel of John for uh, Jesus' arrest and trial, he raises Lazarus from the dead. If you read the Gospel of John without reading the other Gospels, you get this sense of almost the authorities are terrified by the, by the spiritual power and authority that Jesus has when he raises Lazarus from the dead. That actually there's something about that act of birth, of renewal, of, of Jesus saying, actually there is something new here, there is something different here. Looking at all those signs, the way that Jesus fulfills the law, fulfills lots of the story of Israel, the way he takes a man caught up in sin and blindness and offers healing and forgiveness, speaks of something new, speaks of a new era. This is fundamentally different from this point. And here we have, on the eighth day, the eighth sign, the resurrection. And the resurrection is fundamentally different. Jesus' resurrection is fundamentally different from the, almost the resuscitation of Lazarus. Lazarus is raised from death to life, and he dies. He's still not around. But Jesus is fundamentally different. He's so different that they don't recognize him. He's so different that he can appear in the midst of his followers. He's at pains to emphasize his earthly body. Uh, One of the stories after this, he eats fish. He gets them to touch his sides. Mary clearly sees him and grabs onto him. And Jesus says, you don't need to cling to me. Go, go and tell the other disciples. I'm not going anywhere. There's, there's a physical tangibleness to Jesus. But there is something different. There is something that has happened across the whole universe from this point. We are starting again from this point. We can get a little bit confused at this point because often um, we talk about body, soul, spirit. That's kind of how Greek philosophy and the world has taught us to think that we are in three parts. But that's not actually quite how the Bible, or particularly how the New Testament, talks about us. It talks about the inner man being the soul, suke in the Greek, and it speaks about the body being the outer man, soma. And actually the spirit, the spirit of God, is something almost independent of that. It's a positive, it's the life force, it's the breath of God that comes to us. It's a gift from God. And... There's, when we see in Paul's letters, we actually see the opposite of that is the flesh, this kind of negative force, this carnal, 
urge within us that, that kind of comes to us. But fundamentally, we are body and soul. And what's happened here is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has raised Jesus' earthly, mortal body and he's given him an imperishable body. That's what we believe, right? That's what we believe from Romans. Um, that's what we believe from Corinthians. And actually, Paul says in Corinthians, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then we of all people are most to be pitied. That actually, fundamentally, and here's where we want to get to today, that the cross needs the resurrection. The resurrection has fundamentally changed things. So what has changed? We're speaking about this perishable seed, raised imperishable, to use Paul's words. But, but what is different? What does the resurrection prove? What does the resurrection do? So the thing is, I know in churches when I grew up, and this could just be me either not being very good at listening or being in not great examples of churches, but I know almost the resurrection was just kind of a sideshow, was just a, a display of power, and it was all about the cross. The cross was the main thing, and this was a kind of added extra that we celebrated. But actually, when we read the New Testament, the force and the weight of salvation is found within the resurrection. The cross and resurrection are inseparable that we shouldn't be able to share the gospel without talking about the resurrection. So what has changed? Well, there's a victory over sin. That, that the charges, the, the sin that would hold someone to a cross and then the wages of which would be death, has not held Jesus. Has not held Jesus. In the Gospel of John, sin is often equated with blindness. And the cross is spoken about in terms of revealing something. And then, at the resurrection, we have this ultimate moment where he stands face to face with his disciples and they finally realize who he is. In all their doubts, in all the ways that they were scattered, the cross is this revealing, it's, it's opening our eyes from the sin that has blinded them. The, the resurrection is, of course, a victory over death. All those passages in John about eternal life all those passages about Jesus' authority and healing power being signs of the eternal life that we are given. It's a victory over darkness. It's a victory over the powers that, that arrested Jesus and put him on trial and lied about him and gave this sham trial, that profound picture in the Gospel of John where Jesus has his trial before Pilate and Pilate asks, what is truth? Actually, Jesus has a victory over that power, over those lies that are held against him. He has a victory over that darkness. He has a victory over the devil. It says in 1 John 3.8 that Jesus came to destroy the devil and all his works. And fundamentally we know the proof of that through the resurrection, through this immortal body that Jesus has. And the final one is, is I don't know how to make this a victory so it preaches nicely, but it's adoption. That actually the resurrection is this proof that Jesus has gone and prepared a room for us. Actually when Jesus talks about preparing a room, when he's praying with his disciples, I fundamentally believe he's talking about here and now. He's talking about actually there's something on the other side of the cross. And now when I welcome you into that place, you are welcomed as sons, as daughters of my father. We are adopted as his children. So what has changed through the resurrection? Everything everything. Body and soul are given eternal life through the Spirit and we share in that. We share in those victories. 
We share in that victory over sin, death, darkness, evil. We share in that adoption as children of God. So what? Where does that take us? That's theology we might be thinking, okay, this is just where we are. Well, when I was praying and preparing for today, I was just thinking about, about just how messy the journey of faith is for some people. About how much it is in fits and starts. About how people can accept God and then just stumble and fall apart. And actually, I'm aware that sometimes, even though we follow Jesus and we've submitted to him fully, we need that fresh start. We need that new place to go. And I feel like, very simply, Jesus wants me to, to share this and offer this and to just open our hearts to his spirit today. To stand on those theological truths of the resurrection of this. Actually, everything is fundamentally different from this place. But actually, when we read these stories, we see a bunch of disciples who lived their lives with Jesus, and yet they flaked out. They stumbled, they fell, they abandoned him. second part of this passage says that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus comes, and the first thing he does is he speaks peace to us. Whether we've wandered away, he doesn't come and say, where were you? What happened? What, what went on back there? I mean, they must have been terrified of the Jews. I think if I'd seen a friend that I'd abandoned in such a way suddenly appear, I think I'd be pretty terrified of him as well. Yet Jesus just comes and says, peace. Whatever's going on out there, whatever has made you look away from me, or stumble, or fall, or forget me. Peace. Peace. And then he breathes his spirit on them. He breathes on them. It says, receive the Holy Spirit. That picture that we have of the breath of God, whether it's from creation in Genesis, whether it's uh, the powerful story of Elijah and the widow's son, and the breath of life bringing healing, whether it's the picture of Ezekiel and the dry bones, that picture of the breath of God coming and doing a new thing, that actually this resurrected Jesus, this Jesus who has been animated by the Spirit, breathes out that same Spirit into us. It says you can start again. Join this new creation. And then he commissions us. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. He gives us a purpose. I was talking to one of my friends uh, just yesterday, who has become a Christian from such a messy background, has spent so many years of his life, to be honest, just lost in addiction and oblivion. And he's going, now I've hit a certain age and I've got nothing to show for my life. I don't have children, I've not written books, what have I got to show? Actually, I was able to firstly say what an incredible thing 
that you've got, that you've been through those circumstances that God has brought you to this point, but actually God has commissioned you, God has given you a purpose. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus now sends you to take part in a bigger thing. That caught in our dead-end jobs or our difficulties in life or families or lost in nostalgia thinking what could have been, actually you are part of Jesus' story. You are part of the Father's story. He sends you out to join into his bigger story. And that's where your life finds meaning and purpose and freedom. And then, one of these verses that is just so sticky and difficult, and I, and I love to speak on it. Um, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We don't tend to particularly practice this, uh, particularly in the free church. We often think of it as just being the domain of Catholic priests to forgive the sins of others. And actually, Jesus here calls his disciples it. And sometimes, maybe in the free church, we've become the priesthood of no believers instead of the priesthood of all believers. We're called and commissioned, and actually, we are empowered. We are empowered. We are given authority. Jesus sends us out and says, you go and do this. Do the things that I do. Proclaim forgiveness. Actually, the forgiveness is in the passive voice, so it still kind of shows that it's an act of God, but there's this sense that we speak it out. We do the things. We've been given the spirit. We've been given that new start. We are resurrection people. We've been commissioned and given a purpose as part of what God is doing in sending out Jesus. Jesus now sends out us. And we have been empowered to go and do the things that he did. So will you receive today? Will you start again from this point? Will you join in with the new creation? Let's stand and let's invite, invite God's spirit to be breathed into our hearts. Jesus, you have called us in as sons and daughters, free, fully free. Free from sin and death and the devil. Free from any power that would try to withhold us from the love of God and the life eternal. Jesus, you have come and you have poured out your spirit on us to make us a resurrection people. You have come and you have commissioned us and empowered us. You've given us purpose. But Jesus, we know we can we can so often be like those disciples, hidden away, locked away, fearful, aware of our faults, slow to see. Jesus, we just invite you to pour out your spirit in our hearts again. For us to keep being filled with your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We invite you now, not as if you were ever anywhere else, but 
we invite you as an act of saying we have pushed out the other things that would take up space in our hearts and there is room for you here to do what you would do. Come Holy Spirit.